Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whitlaw. Now I'm delighted that this week uh, we have with us one of the greats uh, of BBC over the past five decades. Nigel Rees uh, was the co-host of Quote Unquote, which was a show on the radio, which I'm sure maybe many of you are familiar with, uh, which started something like 46 years ago. Uh, Nigel is obviously also a writer and author. Uh, he's written some 50 books, which is extraordinary. Um, and he's with me now. Thank you very much for coming, uh, Nigel. Um, the reason you're here as well is that the show that I mentioned, quote unquote, is no more. Uh, you've left. Can you explain why? Yes, uh, because we have just reached our 500th edition, which is quite a landmark, uh, spread over the 46 years. But uh, I thought this was the time to think about whether to carry on with it. Because as you say, it has given, given me my life's work, if yeah. you like, with 50 books and I have a newsletter, which has been going for 30 years. So the business of researching quotations uh, has been what I do. Uh, but the trigger for calling it a day was uh, COVID. Because this meant that we were no longer able to do as we had done for the past uh, 44 years anyway, uh, record it in front of a tightly packed uh, yes. studio yeah. audience and have the guests, you know, all squashed up together. And this removed one of the, the great uh, pluses mm. of, of the programme. Uh, so we struggled over the last, the final two series, the first one of those we recorded remotely with eight people uh, in eight different places mm. and all the problems that that involved <laughs> and then I said I'm not going to do that again so the last series we did uh, socially distanced right in a BBC studio uh, this this worked very well you wouldn't have known that we were in eight different places uh, but uh, I didn't really think that this was what the show was about no um, obviously there's been in the press uh, recently is the show which is one of the great stalwarts of BBC radio going um, but you have talked about the sort of the different emphasis that's now being put on shows like yours which is if you might say what the diversity agenda how would you put how did that actually affect your show well, I think it's been a gradual thing over the last, well, perhaps 20 years. I think initially, uh, when it came to choosing the, the panellists, the, the guests on the programme, and I, this is a, a task I undertake with the, the producer, uh, and, but I have a very strong input because m my work has covered news and current affairs and arts and all the rest of it, so I have an awful lot of contacts. Yeah. So that was that. Uh, but perhaps 20 years ago, we suddenly heard that we really must address the gender issue. I think up to that point we had probably had uh, two-thirds of the guests, if not more, uh, were male and it was not thought a good thing. Uh, so we did indeed in, in, in bring in more female guests. So that was the start of it. But then the last four, five or six years, uh, before the term woke had even been invented, I think, um, there were f further pressures. Diversity was the big one. And of course, 
uh, with the Black Lives Matter uh, two years ago, uh, that really sort of put a rocket underneath it. So I was told that we could not have an all-white panel um, and we, uh, I, I challenged this at one point. I said, "Well, look, you know, I can. I, there are programs on radio and TV which don't do have mm. all white panels." And I said, oh, well, they said, oh, we, "Yes, but they have black people uh, or persons of color in in the production team," which didn't seem to be a particularly mm. valuable mm. argument mm. to me. Uh, but anyway, I went along with this, and we've had some extremely good, um, diverse guests. Mm. Then this last series, the final series, as it turned out, uh, they came along and said, oh, we've had complaints, the BBC has had complaints, Radio 4 has had complaints, that there aren't enough disabled uh, guests mm. on programmes. And I said, y yes, but how do you know on radio? Mm. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And uh, I thought this was extremely strange. Mm. Uh, and I said, how do they know? these people who'd complained, I think were talent agents, because they hadn't been able to get their people yes, on. Yes, yes. Uh, I said, how do they know? Uh, but anyway, I said, well, who, who, are, who are you thinking of? Who could we have? And of course, the implication was that one couldn't just have them on, because you couldn't actually tell from radio whether a person mm. was blind or in a wheelchair, or whatever. So I had to make something of it in the program right. if they were disabled. Right. Uh, I think that was the final straw, really. Right. I thought, this is, this is not necessary. Uh, all I want is people who can do the programme, who are up for it, who are the right people for the programme. Never mind what colour they are, what gender, uh, what race, anything. Uh, so that's how it came up. But really, it's just one of the reasons why I decided to call it a day. But it, it, this is the sort of thing, it, it does really uh, interfere with, the, for want of a better expression, the creative process, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Because other things are being put, you know, as being of greater priority than maybe, the, as you say, the knowledge of the person or yeah. their expertise. Well, somebody said to me the other day, is all this sort of emphasis on getting diverse uh, people on the programme uh, or people, disabled people, is this in fact affecting the nature of the programme? Uh, because if they've been chosen uh, for these qualities, mm. uh, possibly it has led to people coming on the programme who weren't really up to it. Mm. Uh, I don't know whether that is true or not. I don't really have a judgment on that. But mm. it is possible that by thinking too much in terms of the sort of people you want to have on the programme, you miss out on this more important factor of whether they're actually going to be able to do the yes. programme. But how does it actually sort of practically work then, Nigel? I mean, when, when, when you say, you know, there, there's sort of pressure to do this or whatever, from where? I mean, you know, how do you not have autonomy anymore in... in, in well, in I don't think I ever had autonomy. It has always been a joint process mm. of me working with the producer and possibly I work uh, more closely with the producer because I own the format to the program and I write the script and I mm. present the program so I'm so involved uh, that there was never any question of me not having mm. input but the way things work is that um, uh, I was told in advance of the last series that uh, well the BBC whatever 
nebulous concept that is, had decided that there must be greater disabled rep representation. Mm. And so my producer, who was a very young person, uh, 50 years younger than me, um, she presented me with a list of her suggestions in the same way as I had presented her with my suggestions. And almost all her suggestions were either disabled people or people from uh, ethnic minorities or people or activists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, from, from, mm. uh, from organizations or, or, or gatherings, uh, which you wouldn't really think of were particularly relevant to the yes. study of quotations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, activists, you know. Yeah. body shaming activists and all that yes, yes. Uh, and I got I got a bit worked up about that I said well you know who, who am I going to who, who are these people and some of the disabled people um, I, I'm not going to name names but you know well one of them I will, I will name it uh, there is a comedian who is known as uh, no voice because he can't speak and he, uh, and he does it very well, but he has a machine like Stephen Hawking. Mm. So all his, mm. his words, or his jokes, have to be played from a tape recorder. Now, how on earth was I going to get yes. him in, in a program yeah. which is a discussion program, which yeah. you know, is sort of free form? Uh, that was the sort of thing. Yes. Uh, and then somebody said to me, well, you know, there are lots of disabled novelists and journalists. Yeah. And I said, oh, all right. So I literally Googled disabled journalist <laughs> and came out with one uh, who in fact we did have on the program who was a very famous person and uh, and he was wonderful but I wouldn't have thought of him if I hadn't mm. been pushed in that yes. direction yes and um, presumably there's pressure on the actual content too oh yes uh, and this was really what got my goat. I mean, I was very happy to have these, uh, these, these, these suggestions as far as the guests were concerned. But when it came to the scripts, uh, well, that really did, that was when I exploded. Mm. <laughs> and the example uh, which I've given is that in our 500th program, uh, I want, we have a, a spot in the program called Detached Lyrics. When you uh, ask where does it, where do these lines mm. come from from a song, and you take away the music, you take away the context, and uh, it's, it's slightly difficult. But, you know, we've done it lots of times, and the lines that I wanted to include were: "In Bengal, to move at all is seldom, if ever, oh, done." Mm. But mad dogs and Englishmen quite in the and that was what I wanted to do. And then, you know, I would put it to the guest, we would sort it out, and then I would play Noel Coward singing the lines. Uh, the executive producer, having gone through my scripts and you know, marked up all the various things that he didn't like, uh, he said, no, 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 you can't use that song because it reflects colonial attitudes. But it does the reverse of that, doesn't it? It does the reverse of that because it is poking fun yeah. at the, uh, the colonial mm. administrators or whoever, uh, not at the, mm. the natives. Mm. Um, so that was, caused a big explosion on my part. Yeah. I said, this is ridiculous. It, it is, uh, this is you know, straight out of the Black Lives Matter um, rule book, if mm. you like. 
which is presumably why it came up. And I was persuaded. They said, oh, it's not a diktat, you know, it's not a diktat, we're not in... But we would rather you mm. <laughs> chose mm. something else. No, Carter said some lots of interesting things and witty things. Can't you choose something else? So I gave in and I substituted something not by Noel Card, but uh, another thing. Did, um, did your audience pick up on this kind of thing? I mean, did you get sort of feedback from the audience saying, well, they would hardly know, you see, because they wouldn't yes, know what had been yes, left out. Yes. Uh, but uh, since I have uh, made my uh, position known, I've had lots of emails from mm. people saying, oh, thank goodness you said something. Mm. Uh, you know, Radio 4 has become so right on and, um, mm. and, 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 and all that that uh, they, they don't like it. And of course, I mean, I'm an old man, I'm 77, uh, and a lot of Radio 4 listeners are, I think the average age is 56. Is it really? 56? Something like that. Right. Okay. And of course, they are desperate to get younger listeners. Mm. I'm not terribly sure why, really, mm. because if, you know, you are providing a wonderful service to people over 50, mm. uh, well, that's fine. They will die out and they will be replaced by these young people growing older mm. who will find it more to their taste mm. uh, as, they, as they grow older. Uh, so that is that. With the, you mentioned that you alluded to that you own the, the yes. format. That actually, so you withdraw, that's it, the programme goes. Oh, yeah, so the programme's finished. So, well, but in another situation, presumably in your host for a long time, they could do something like say, well, we need a new host or something, couldn't they? Yeah, they could, but they can't do the programme without me. So yes, exactly. But I noticed that thing. Um, a number of other presenters, I mean, bigger names than me in TV and so on, are on the move yeah. at the moment. Uh, Andrew Marr, for example, yeah. said that he wanted to be able to speak in his own voice mm. rather than through mm. the BBC mm. uh, approved voice. And uh, Adam Bolton of Sky News, I read that he he's retiring or resigning or whatever. And he said, you know, in the media is as it is today. Uh, I won't get anywhere because of uh, I'm the wrong gender, I'm the wrong uh, ethnicity, um, I'm possibly the wrong, uh, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so there is this sort of feeling around, I think, yes. that other people are not too happy with the way that they are really told to do their jobs. But also, I think one of the possible effects as well is that it's... It's, it's hard to measure this, but it's also maybe alienating people because the end result is very, what they might call woke-washed. Yes, you know? yes, yes. I, I wondered, I mean, do you think, uh, you mentioned there 20 years, but in the recently uh, things have changed. Has there been a fundamental change in the BBC in this regard? I think there has. I mean, I've worked for the BBC for uh, 55 years, something like that. And I was, I started, well, I started with the Granada Television in Manchester, and that was another matter. But uh, the BBC that I worked for in News and Current Affairs, uh, I was the presenter of the Today programme, yeah. the famous Today programme, back in the 1970s. Uh, and I also did oh, hours and hours of uh, very serious News and Current Affairs with BBC World Service. The people who, uh, my editors and producers, in those days, I would say were very uh, balanced people. Mm -hmm. they, they, they cared about 
the things mm. that happened. And um, were they very even-handed, I think that's probably the word. I have a feeling that perhaps very recently, perhaps the last 10 years, a lot of uh, people have gone into news and current affairs, I don't think we're talking about that uh, particularly, um, people who are activists mm. or had, were party free, they, they had positions, and this affected their judgment, mm. really, or their input into the, the, the editorial process. I think that has definitely changed and has led to this. So there must be people now uh, in the BBC who, uh, who are setting these rules. Um, Yes, I mean, I, I do think it does. It is. It's media wide. I think that. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's, yes. It's yes. media wide. Yes. It's just that the reason that the BBC singled out maybe is because people pay for it. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's, that's, well, that that's is, the difference. Yeah. Um, I also one thing that struck me. Uh, we were talking about it here before, before you came in, um, was that there are general cultural changes that have happened that I would have thought do affect. Um, programs such as yours. So your program does require a fair amount of knowledge, doesn't yes. it? Yes, yes. And, you know, when you look at, for example, some of the names, you know, that you've had on, I mean, I've, Peter Ustinov, you know, Kenneth Williams, Peter Cook, Kingsley Amis, all of these people. Um, I suppose a certain level of knowledge would be assumed, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes. That might have changed, might it not? I or? think so. Uh, I mean, one of the big sort of uh, changes on the, the guest front is the, the rise of the, the stand-up comedian. Right. Stand-up comedians now, uh, I think this is perhaps, perhaps goes back 20 years, I don't know, they are everywhere. Mm. Every TV mm. panel game mm. uh, has stand-up comedians, that's their day job, but they also appear on all these panels, uh, often uh, on many panels, more than one. I mean, somebody like David, Nick, uh, David Mitchell, for example, he's all never off. Yes. Um, and I think that is okay, and I've gone along with this. I've said, yes, we can, we can have such and such a stand-up comedian, provided they have something else. Mm. They have another string to their bow. Uh, you know, they might have written a novel or they might have uh, done something specific that yes. we can talk about. Uh, but there have been some who haven't. And there are some who just don't really have the knowledge. And uh, so that, that is certainly something that has changed. But that, I suppose, as well, I mean, take the Noel Coward example. Yeah. Um, you know, to me, Mad Dogs and Englishman is a classic British popular song, yeah. you know, um, as indeed Noel Coward. Uh, there would be uh, surely many people now, adult people, who yes. would not know oh, even yes, yes, yes. the song. Well, I suppose this also is one of the reasons why I brought the programme to a close, because my uh, reference points mm. are to when I was growing up and being educated in the 50s and the 60s. And in fact, at the beginning of the programme, we have three quotations over the signature, which we cut in very short quotations. Uh, and uh, we, we put in quite a lot of comedy ones, like bits of uh, Hancock, uh, bits from The Goon Show, bits from uh, Round the Horn. Uh, and these are very old shows yes, now, yes. and the, the yeah. modern generation won't, won't really <laughs> recognise what, what they are, what, yeah. what they're about. Uh, 
So I would say, yes, the cultural environment has changed. Uh, and uh, this, I had a letter this week, well, not a letter, an email um, from someone who said, your people, they don't know anything. Mm. Uh, you know, they, even the obvious things, like this particular example that this person gave was, I asked, I guess, uh, who said this? And so to bed. Mm. Mm. And this person had no idea. And it was obvious when I told the mm. person what the answer was, namely Samuel Pepys mm. at the end of his diary mm. entries. Uh, but I would have thought that was a quotation. Was it yes. really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, did, does this mean if you were a listener, are you a listener, much actually, of radio now? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, if I am told about something on the radio, mm. then I will get it on Catch Up or BBC Sounds, as mm. it's now called. Uh, my wife listens to Radio 3 almost continuously, so mm. that's, all, that's what's on in my house. Yeah. But um, do you watch, I mean, do you watch um, much BBC TV, for example? Or? Not really. I've stopped watching the news because what, why is that? <laughs> over the last two years it just becomes intolerable. And I also find, uh, not because of uh, bias or anything like that, but because I just find it rather irritating the way that it is presented. So mm. I, but I watch it for the drama like most people, and, uh, and documentaries on BBC Four, for example, which mm. are wonderful. Um, and, I, and the whole rise of the catch-up business is yeah. such a, makes it so much easier not to have to watch what you don't want to watch. <laughs> Can I ask, what, what is it that's irritating about the way that the BBC, uh, the news is now presented to you? What, what is it? Is it what, sensationalist? Or no, what? no, I don't know. I wouldn't use that word at all. I think some of the, the newscasters are perhaps slightly pompous mm. Mm. and the correspondents. But really what I find irritating about BBC News, it possibly also applies to ITN. I used to work for ITN back in the day. Um, is this business of uh, you know, the presenter. Um, you have a little report from a correspondent and uh, and then suddenly you know they're standing in the middle of the desert or something like that and suddenly the the newscaster or the news presenter has to have a little two-way yes. two-way yeah. and in which they ask uh, feed questions yeah, yeah. Uh, there is one female uh, newscaster who asks questions like um, oh it's, it's it's awful isn't it <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the reporter or correspondent out, out, out there in the desert, there's a slight pause, you notice, a digital pause. <laughs> and, and they say, uh, that's right, Fiona. Oh, sorry, I'll give that away. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yes, it's yes. this sort of feeding questions. It's very artificial, really. Mm -hmm. When I was a presenter of a current affairs room, I asked the questions. They've obviously been given these on a card, you know. Uh, is it fair to say that you'd say because uh, you know we've had we've speak a lot about the BBC on mm. on this channel, but it's fair to say that you 
don't have a particular problem with the BBC, do you? I mean, you in the sense that you don't want to see it go or you, you don't want to see the licence fee go. Is that correct? Or? Yes, no, I think I, I can't really see a solution to the licence fee problem, really. Uh, and I think that if it became a, you know, like a, a Netflix service, mm. you would lose all sorts of programmes which, you know, a commercially funded broadcaster would not make and the BBC still has a public service mm -hmm. uh, mission uh, so that is uh, that is that yeah. what then if you don't we know what you don't listen but what what do you what I mean what about YouTube and things like that? on YouTube well when I was doing quote-unquote it was a very useful uh, thing uh, for, on two fronts uh, one about the guests mm. If I was given a list of names of people, and in fact, uh, this, the list that I referred to before, uh, and I said, well, okay, but what are they like, you know? Mm. Well, do they have a personality? Do they, well, yes. Well, speech impediment, what are... And uh, so I would... And almost everybody now is on YouTube and all these comedians, they all have a little, you know, yeah. bit of their performances. And uh, so I would use it for that purpose, to check out people. Sometimes it was very useful. Sometimes I'm, oh God, I'm not going to have that person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the other thing on on the the, the quotations. Uh, once upon a time, if I wanted to check out a quotation in a film or yeah. um, TV program or a political speech or something, I had to go to the BBC Sound Archives and mm. request it. Mm. And it was a very elaborate. I can now sitting at my desk, I can just check out. Uh, what was said. I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, the famous um, end of the 1966 World Cup when Kenneth Woolston, uh, the, uh, the, the crowd is coming on the field, uh, they think it's all over, it is it's now. now. And somebody uh, wrote to me and said, but that is not the complete quotation. He says, they think it's all over, it is now four. It's four. <laughs> and somebody said, this is an example of an underquote, you see. Yes. So I thought, well, I'd better check this out before I put it in the program. And, you know, I was able just to summon it up instantly, the clip of the final word. So it's just an example. But it's interesting, you mentioned films. Um, mm. You know, you, you, you can check out a film quote uh, from, from YouTube. In a way, is that a very good uh, example of quotability declining isn't it because there comes a point like i can't remember of the past 20 odd years and i love movies yeah. um how many quotable lines are there they they don't do them anymore i mean you, you're left all the time with aren't you going back what, what would be the you know for the maybe the 1990s or something yes at the very earliest i think they're more colloquial now uh i mean I think, you know, if you think you're great uh, film quotations, uh, all about he fasten your seatbelt, it's going to be, be a bumpy night. Bumpy night. Yeah. Wonderful quotations. So you can check that out very easily. But I would think you're probably right in that uh, recent films, it, the, the dialogue is more casual. It's more casual and also just not memorable. I mean, we, yeah. I just don't think we look for those things in films, yeah. maybe. I'm I mean, trying desperately to think of something. Well, I was just thinking that the, the nearest I can think of is Show Me the Money, 
which yes. is from Jerry Maguire, which is I think yes. about 96, 7, something yeah. like that, with Tom Cruise. Yeah. I can't really think of... Well, there's a, uh, Follow the Money. Follow the Money, uh, and that was from... Yeah, Watergate. Oh, all, all, all the presidents, presidents men. men. Yeah, yeah. Follow, yes. follow the money is, is quite yeah. wonderful. Uh, but I think you're right. I think mm. you're right. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, of all the people I mentioned, you know, you must be asked this a lot, Nigel. But I would have thought this is, you know, I, I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> who are the people that you particularly stick in your mind? I mean, uh, or, or that you particularly pleased to have work with these all of these how many did you, i think you said 900 mm, guests 950 950 something like that <laughs> this is like a cultural history yes. almost well i think so and if you go to my website you can see they're all listed yeah. um i don't think it's 950 actually i think it must be 590 i think it's five got the wrong right. 590 um but who do, who stands out mm. well i can think of one very good example uh you it's funny how people's names just go. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, we had Malcolm Muggeridge on Malcolm back, in, Muggeridge. back in the seventies. Yes. People just don't know who Malcolm Muggeridge no, is. They don't, he, no. he hasn't got an afterlife, which may be the fate of broadcasters. I don't know. Um, but uh, Ludovic Kennedy, Ludovic, yeah. right? Uh, great champion of uh, of rights, uh, human rights, legal matters, and all the rest of it, and. Uh, a fully rounded human being, I think one would say. And so he came on the programme and I knew that, because I, I, I tend to know what they're going to be able to do. So I asked him to say, who said, kiss me hardy? Mm. And this was Lord Nelson as he was dying on the victory. And he just, just, just came out with a whole wonderful uh, explication of that and and I said yes but people say he didn't really say kiss me hardy he said kismet hardy kismet. He said, no 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 he said uh, I don't think he would have understood what that meant and I don't think I do uh, but th that was just one example of somebody adding to yes. the quotation yes. and uh, giving um, background to it and all that yes. so that's just one example well, I mean it's extraordinary uh, array of of names and people and and obviously as you say many of them are actually now disappearing into the mists of time aren't yeah they? yeah yeah you know, definitely. well i think this is a fate of particularly perhaps broadcasters and even though all these things will remain on youtube but i think you know broadcasting is a, a thing of the moment yeah uh newspapers obviously last a little bit longer and you can now access newspapers um, but un unless you've sent some, uh, uh, unless you've left something very tangible, mm. uh, which can people can re refer to and which resound beyond your death. Can I just ask, Bob, way of closing? I mean, forty-six years of your program. Mm. This is obviously not including. Uh, we haven't talked about all the books you've written. Yeah. <laughs> um, in many respects, you sort of covered the whole of the post-war period of broadcasting. I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe not quite, but most of it. I mean, is there a period that you look back and think, ah, oh, now that was the best period to be in broadcasting? 
Well, I started, as I said, with, at Granada in 1966, and Granada was a very interesting organization, left-leaning, socialist conscience, if you like. Uh, now it's been completely destroyed, doesn't exist anymore, but had this incredible, uh, I don't know, game plan in which it was immensely commercially successful with Coronation Street and things like that, mm -hmm. but also produce world-class drama, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and... Uh, Brideshead Revisited. Brideshead Revisited, uh, which included uh, you know, these wonderful actors, including Laurence Olivier. Mm -hmm. And Laurence Olivier did a whole series for Granada of great plays. That's can right. You, can uh, you imagine that? Laurence Olivier Presents. Yes, that's, that's right. I remember watching. Yes, yes. Because, um, uh, yes. So, so that's when I started, and then I went to ITN, and then I moved into the BBC. And the BBC, at that time, BBC Radio, I worked as a reporter, freelance reporter on the Today programme, the famous Today programme, which in those days was presented by a very sort of um, personality presenter called Jack DeManio, oh, right. who was not a journalist. Mm, no. <laughs> it was very sort of lackadaisical and he couldn't even tell the time, which was rather a, a difficult thing on the breakfast time programme. Uh, but I look back at that era when the Today programme was not what it is now. It was more of a, ma a magazine programme with a certain amount of current affairs element, but it wasn't this great mm. flagship no. broadcasting outfit. Uh, I look back at that period uh, with, with affection and uh, into the 70s which is when my presenting career took up uh, took off uh, with I presented Kaleidoscope the Arts program I also acted in comedy shows and then it all came together yeah. in, in quote unquote so do you plan on uh, uh, taking it easy now or, or what or are you <laughs> going to do you're going to write are you I don't think so. I think I'm retiring, uh, but I will keep on doing my quotation work, which yeah. is, you know, quite a thing. Uh, I, I think a sort of revolution has mm. occurred uh, with uh, quotation research mm. uh, because of the Internet and, uh, mm. and Google and the rest of it. And there are one or two of us who have really harnessed uh, the Internet and email and all the rest to do the research. Once upon a time, you had to write people letters. Yes, yeah. yeah. And wait for them to come across the event. Uh, but now it's sort of, and so I get requests all the time, where does so-and-so come from? Where does so-and-so come from? And uh, there are one or two people in, in, in America, particularly, where they're very hot on this, who do this full time. I mean, they run websites. Well, there are quite a few websites, aren't there, mm. uh, to do with quotes. If you just, you, what, as you say, on Google, it's just, they all come up and... Uh, yeah, but you have to be very careful because yes. there is an awful lot of misinformation yes. uh, on, on the internet. But I'll give you one example. There is a guy with the interesting name Garson O'Toole who runs uh, a, a website called uh, quoteinvestigator.com. And he is an absolute whiz. And he, as I say, harnesses the, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the existence of the mm. internet to research things. Because, you know, uh, an awful lot of books are now available mm. on, on Google Books, for example. So you can research. I can just sort of, I wanted to find out the other day, what was it, uh, some expression. Oh, I can't remember what it was now. But, I can go to Google Books and say, when is the first recorded example of this phrase? Right. And you can find it. 
you have to be very careful, you have to be very careful not to rely entirely <laughs> on, on what they throw up at you. But also, uh, Garson is an absolute whiz. An awful lot of American newspapers uh, are now on databases. Mm. So you can, and, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of American newspapers, you know, there's the San Jose Bugle or what have you, and therefore you can go right through. To, to to find the earliest earliest example, and he's an absolute wizard. This, so you know, this is this has changed the way. Once upon a time, if you wanted to find out a quotation, you went to the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations. Indeed, I used to have it myself. Well, but now yeah. you know, and it's changing all the time. So it's rather difficult to have a bit heavy book when yeah. you can just go online and yeah. dig things out. Um, you do the new sets you refer to and have been doing for a long time. Yeah. Uh, is that sort of freely available? Do people have to subscribe to that? No, they just ask me and I send it to them. Oh, right. It's okay. a quarterly, yeah. Okay. It used to be subscription back in the days when it was a hard copy. Yeah. But honestly, collecting subscriptions yeah. from all over the world is very hard work. But if so. people want to see it uh, yeah. or look at it, what? Oh, I see, of course, yes, it's just purely by email because it's a newsletter. Yeah, yep. yeah. okay, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, but how would they get in, would they go to, do you have a website? Yep. Yep. Oh, I see. Uh, just quote-unquote and... Uh, quote-unquote. If you type in quote-unquote newsletter, then you'll come to the website. Well, I'm sure a lot of people will do that. Um, thank you, Nigel, for coming on, talking about this. Pleasure. This is great. And um, whatever you do or don't do, I wish you all the best with it. Um, thank, you thank you very much indeed. Thank, thank you. you. Um, that's it for So What You're Saying Is, and uh, well, we shall see you next time. So thank you very much. Bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as three pounds per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.